I'd just like to reiterate, happy Father's Day. I know that seems maybe a little bit self-serving, uh, but it, it is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. And look, you don't have to be a dad in order to get some beef jerky. So I, there's three different flavors out there. Make sure, especially if you forgot to get your dad something today. You know, that's, that's for you to be, able to, uh, to be able to make that happen. Well, today we are wrapping up our sermon series called Be Confident. And we've talked about what it looks like to be confident even in uncertain, in uncertain times. And confidence in terms of how God gives us confidence. And so we've been talking about characteristics that build up that confidence in our life. So we've talked about being humble and authentic and persistent and certain in our lives. And so today we're going to be talking about what it looks like when all those things kind of come together and culminate in us being confident in our faith and our life, what that produces um, in our life as we live out that confidence. Because the goal of our confidence is to be contagious. Now, I get the word contagious maybe isn't the best word to use. Like, I, I, like I understand that. Maybe that makes us a little bit nervous. But it, but it works. Trust me, it, it, it works. Um, because our confidence is not just for our own benefit. So, so it's not just be confident because what God has done so that you can have a better life, so you can be more self-actualized, so you can, like, it's, it's not just about that. It's about more than just ourselves and our own experience. It's also about how people around us experience us as well. And, and contagious, it, it works because it works both, both ways. Not everyone is going to become or want to become a Christian just because we are contagious, We've got something, and we want to share that thing. But not everybody makes the right choice in life. And so sometimes even Jesus warned that people are going to be offended by the cross, that some people are going to, uh, uh, some people are going to hate his disciples. And, and that part, I, I, can, I can understand that. I can reconcile that in my mind. Like, I don't expect people who do not believe in Jesus to act as though they believe in Jesus. All right? Which, if you've never thought about that, like that's an important thing, thing to know and to expect. But what really makes things difficult is not when people who don't believe don't believe and act like they don't believe. That's not the difficult part. The difficult part is when Christians, disciples of Jesus, place their confidence in other things, aren't very um, consistent in living out their faith the way that Jesus models it for us, and they make Christianity pretty unattractive, or they just don't model it in the right ways. And thus, the importance of the characteristics that we talked about in the last few weeks about what godly confidence looks like. We need those things because Jesus says to us, you are the salt of the earth, and we're meant to make things tasty. Uh, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And we are meant to shine a light in the darkness. The Bible says that in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, uh, Paul gives an example there in how we are called to make God attractive in how we live our lives. Hopefully our lives are an attractive example and model for what it means for our eternal trajectories to be changed by Jesus. So our text this morning is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. And we're going to be going through a few of those different verses as we go through the sermon this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, that would be great. But let me go ahead and read that chunk to you. Since then, Paul says, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. 
What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So this morning we're going to go through uh, those verses together and look at what it means to be confident and be contagious as a result of that confidence and how it impacts others' lives and how we live like Jesus because of what he's done and changed in our lives. All right, so this is confidence that is contagious as Paul models for this for us and and talks about it in this passage. And the first thing is this, is that we should be transparent. And transparent in terms of not, not just like we talked about authenticity already a couple weeks ago, so not, not in terms of, oh, I'm going to tell you everything about my you know, life story, and I'm going to talk the whole time, and I'm going to say all these things. Not, not, not like that necessarily, but we should be obvious about our intentions that we want to share the good news about Jesus with other people. So there's this idea sometimes that, that we think, um, that, that sometimes people think that if I just live good enough, like that's the way that people are going to be pointed to Jesus. Here's the problem with that ain't none of us living good enough. Like, it just doesn't quite work that way. And so at some point, like, we've got to be pretty intentional, pretty obvious about our desire to share Jesus with with other people, even if every once in a while sometimes our actions and words aren't necessarily as consistent with Jesus as we would like for them to be. That's our goal. That's our intention. And people need to see that process in our lives. And Paul says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we want to persuade others. And Listen, um, when Paul says, you know, fear, fear the Lord, the uh, Bible says regularly, the fear of the Lord is the uh, beginning of wisdom in, in our life, okay? So he's talking about fear. He's not saying cowering, scared, like we're in a horror movie, you know, that, that, that kind of deal. Um, what we come to understand and know about God is that our respect for his holiness and his righteousness and his glory is, is something that, we, like, we recognize he is much higher, he is much greater, he is much more awesome in power than we are. And so, yeah, we could go along in life fearing what God might do as a result of that, but because we know him more intimately through Jesus, that fear becomes a little bit different. The more we know the Lord and his love, uh, we reach the point where that perfect love that he shares with us casts out fear that we might have, but we have that respect for the authority of God in our lives. And so we, we value God's word as a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We appreciate the difference knowing Christ, uh, the difference that Christ has made in our lives. And so Paul says, therefore, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, since we know what it is to be, have our lives changed by Jesus, we try to persuade others. Of course, persuade, you know, it doesn't mean to force it doesn't mean to coerce. It means to convince or to influence. And, and look, I get it. That's not a popular thing for us to do. Um, to be intentional about wanting to help other people change their lives isn't, well, it depends on what kind of change it is, right, as to whether or not it's acceptable. But for us to, like, push our religion on other people, sometimes that, that, that is considered problematic. And, and yet, 
we know that there's something greater at stake here. There's something more at stake other than just, you know, leaving somebody else, uh, leaving someone else alone or not imposing our values on other people. There are a couple reasons why we try to persuade people to accept Jesus. The first is that Jesus commands us to do so. He says, hey, if you're my disciples. This is what my disciples do. And they go and they teach and they baptize and they make disciples of all nations. Like that's, that's what we do. We obey God's command to know what it is to fear the Lord. And the second reason is that it's just natural to share good news. When we've shared good news, we share it with other people. Yesterday, I spent the whole day, this is not the only thing I did, but I spent the whole day smoking a pork shoulder, a nine-pound smork, a nine-pound pork shoulder, easy for me to say. And, and I'll just let you know, it was absolutely amazing, incredible. And my wife made homemade coleslaw and homemade mac and cheese, which I then smoked that as well. We had fried green tomatoes from out of our garden. And it was an incredible meal. The only mistake I made yesterday was not making homemade banana pudding. That would have just, that would have just sent it over. And it was, I made homemade Carolina barbecue sauce to go on it as well. It was absolutely incredible. Are you jealous yet? Are you? Okay, good. Like that, that's the, like I'm sharing some good news with you. I mean, you just can't help but be compelled to share some of those things. Now, if that hadn't gone well, I wouldn't tell you uh, about it, but it went amazing. And, and that good news is cha- life-changing. Like some of you right now are like, man, I want oh, this mission barbecue. Like how early do I have to get there to get a seat? You know, like it, it's, it's good stuff. It's life-changing. And the good news that we have is eternally life-changing. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we know that the Lord has cured us of sin and its ultimate consequence. We know the Lord gives us a promise of eternal life. We know the Lord gives us a purpose for living. And that's something we're sharing with people. And if we don't transparently approach life in this idea of desiring to persuade others of the same life-giving truth that we have accepted and that we have faith in and that we enjoy in our life, we're either not convinced we're confident about what we believe, or we're so consumed with ourselves that we haven't given ourselves over to serving others in this way to let them know. And that right there is kind of the sign of maturity in our faith when we recognize that um, we've been helped to help others. Like that, that idea of helping people love Jesus and love God, that's our mission as a church. I mean, that, 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 is, that is when we really know the switch is flipped and we understand what it is to follow God in our life and to understand the good news about Jesus and share it with other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced of what God has done for us through Jesus. We are compelled to share this with other people, regardless of what the situation is we find ourselves in, the relationship that we find ourselves in at some point, like that's something that we want to accomplish among other people. In Acts chapter 26, this is another example from Paul's life because he's the one who's writing these words, right? So it's important for us to kind of look back at that. Like, does he live these things out? Is this something that he pr- puts into practice in his life? An apostle, in, in, in Acts chapter 26, apostle, the apostle Paul was summoned before a king, the governor Festus had brought him here. Paul was 
accused of being an insurrectionist because uh, religious leaders wanted to get rid of him, all right, because he was talking about Jesus. They didn't like it. People were, were, uh, were changing their lives, and they were accepting Jesus. They were, uh, you know, changing what they, what they believed in, basically, at that point, and so they wanted to get rid of him. So they made up all these, these charges, and so Paul was summoned for the governor, who then has a king come and um, comes and visits, and Paul is standing on the witness stand as he is, is being asked to provide evidence as to why he's not an insurrectionist. And so as he's on the witness stand, Paul doesn't start, well, here's, uh, no, here's what I really said, and here's why I'm not an insurrectionist. He just starts telling exactly what has happened in his life. And so he starts off and he says, hey, you know, the reason I'm here is because at one point I didn't believe Jesus was Jesus, and, and then I did. And he talks about what happened to him on the road to Damascus when he saw with his own eyes and heard the resurrected Christ uh, change his life. Paul then, as he's having this conversation, he looks straight at the king, and this is in Acts chapter 26, if you want to check this out at some point. Uh, the king is familiar with these things because this was not done in a corner. So he looks at the king and he says, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you heard about these things too. Like, you, you, you know what's going on here. And, and then he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And that's when the king said, hold, you know, he's out in public, he's in this like, courtroom, throne room situation. He said, hold, hold on, hold on a second, Paul. Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And so where Paul essentially, you know, we would assume that he would be fighting for his life, what he's really doing is he's, he's being transparent about the fact that his intention is to share the good news, regardless of what else is going on. And Paul didn't say, he did, his response to King Agrippa was, oh, I, I'm sorry, you know what, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to impose my values on you. Like, that, that's not what I'm trying to do. You know, if, if, if what, your religion, you know, your faith works for you, you do you. Like, that, that's not his response. Paul says in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 26, verse 29, he says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these change except for these chains. And, and that that's, should be, like that's the prayer that we ought to have that should instill in us and our confidence and our faith in God, that that's ha what we ought to desire other, for other people. Paul wasn't, uh, Paul wasn't coy about his intention. His, his desire was to share the good news and for others to respond to it as well. And so he doesn't disguise the danger. He recognizes that his life is in danger in this moment, and yet he still does that. And he doesn't sugarcoat the message, but he's very bold and courageous. And, and one of the things that we're called to do as disciples of Jesus because of the life change that we have experienced is we are called to persuade people of the truth that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Our theme first for this series has been from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope the good news of Jesus, what he's done. He's eternally changed the trajectory of our lives. Because we have such a hope, we are bold. And as we talked about before, that's in the speech and in action. And that boldness is represented in the confidence of our actions and speech toward others to share the good news. In order to be contagious, Christians have to be transparent, not just in our intentions, but also in, in who we are and what we do. Paul says at the end of verse 11, what we are is plain to God, and I trust it's plain to you. And so we, would, we should be able to say to other people, even if we do make mistakes, even if we do mess up, even if sin still creeps in every once in a while we fall into temptation, we should be able to say to other people, hey, what you see is what you get. 
And the trajectory of my life is exactly what you get to see Jesus putting into place in your life if you trust in him. So the first word is, is being transparent. Like that's, that's the first theme for what it looks like to be a contagious in our faith with other people. The second word is enthusiastic. If, if we want to make Christianity contagious in our life, we've got to feel the urge to represent the truth in our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. The one, one, characteristic, that, one characteristic that is consistently present in any motivator of people for any kind of life change is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm enables people to overcome obstacles. It is contagious. It inspires and motivates others. Enthusiasm uh, doesn't necessarily mean loud and boisterous. It doesn't mean that you are a cheerleader all the time, shaking your pom-poms and, and you know, all, the, all that kind of, not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but people have to sense an intensity about you and the things that you say that you believe in and care about. They have to sense a focus some sort of passion that you have that what you say is what you really believe and really are putting into practice. And this can look like all kinds of things across this, this spectrum. On the one hand, some of you maybe are more like Macho Man Randy Savage with a Slim Jim. Oh yeah, you, you know, like, like that's, that's your thing. And that's fine, like, that's not me. I'm not gonna be Macho Man Randy Savage. Like that, that's not how I'm gonna approach things. Other, others of us, our enthusiasm is gonna look a little bit more like Bob Ross. But you know, you know Bob Ross loves to paint and he loves to teach others how to paint. And that is a very meaningful thing to him. And he knows that you can do it. You can, you can paint that happy little cloud and you can create this, this work of art in your life. And so, so it might look a little different, but the enthusiasm is no less powerful and no less significant and no less represented, however it might look in our life. No less compelled to share the message. And that's why disciples of Jesus should feel the intensity of sharing the good news. Here, here's the truth, right? Like we, maybe we know these things, but maybe we're just not uh, reminded of them enough in our, in our, in our time of, of perspective and, and reading scripture and prayer uh, uh, along, along our weeks and along our days. Jesus Christ died for our sins, eliminates all fear in our life through perfect love. In, in a world that is, in a culture that's consumed by anxiety and stress and depression. We have good news. Jesus removes all fear through his perfect love. We, we know that, we experience that. Promises eternal life. If that truth doesn't compel us, it has become too commonplace in our thinking, or maybe we've forgotten it, or we're just too distracted and hurried to make it a priority in our life. You know, for the first 200 years or so that it was used in English, enthusiasm was used specifically in reference to faith and religious practice. I mean, it's used for a lot, lot of other things now. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Paul says, we are to never be lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. 
Paul in Acts chapter 26 is so enthusiastic in his conversation with King Agrippa that Governor Festus, who kind of set up this meeting, jumps in uh, and, and he says, Paul, your, your great learning is driving you insane. He's like, dude, nobody, nobody's this excited about you know, something that happens in your life unless what Paul said actually happened to him. And Paul said, I'm not insane, Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. This is, this is just what wells up inside of me because it is true and reasonable and because it really happened. Now, enthusiastic Christians may seem to the world to be out of their minds, but if the message is true, then, man, we couldn't be even any more in our right mind, and we cannot be casual with it because the love of Christ compels us. People are really going through hell, and, and there, there really is a danger of people choosing to remain there in their lives if they don't know that there's good news, if they don't know that there's a way out. And yet there's an entirely different eternal heavenly trajectory that we have come to know and that we have come to be confident about. And, and we are compelled by Christ's love in our lives to share that with, with other people with boldness and intensity because we know what it is to fear the Lord, Paul says in verse 11. We try to persuade others. And, and listen, there's probably more than just the next two seconds for somebody to make a decision to say yes to Jesus in their life. I mean, I, I get it. There, there's a reason we have this perspective that when we leave this building and we go to the restaurant, we don't necessarily like walk in and say, turn or burn, you know, repent, you know, you're going to perish. Like, like we don't. We don't approach things that, that some people do. Um, if, if you do, I say this every time I say this, but if you do, like, don't necessarily say that you were at Velocity this morning. Um, uh, you, you know, so, so we've got this idea that, okay, for most people, like, we've, we've got more days and we've got more months and we've got more years to, you know, before we come face to face with God. Um, and, and so, I, like, I get it. It makes sense that we don't rush out here in a panic and, you know, we're nervous and, like, we've we got to save as many people as we can. I mean, ultimately, God is the willing, one who's willing that none should perish. And so the idea of that is not that I have to save people, um, but that I want to be a part of sharing how God has saved me, right? right? So it's a little bit uh, different perspective. But living and speaking confidently about our salvation through Jesus is something we are compelled to do when we understand what God has done for us. People who carry signs, repent or perish, or stand on the street corner and warn about hell by screaming in a megaphone, they aren't too effective in persuading people to come to Christ. Um, um, and I wouldn't come to Christ either if like that's how I was, uh, that's how Christianity was represented to me, because that isn't Christianity. And that isn't representative. And people who do that um, aren't Christians. So we can say things like that. It's okay. We're called to judge people who are inside the church, okay? But we do have to be wise and Christ-like in our approach to understand that we are compelled to represent the good news, just not fear of the good news. We are gentler, more tactful, more patient, and more involved in relationship in people's lives. That's the, that's the key difference, is that it, it is not a message of good news without relationship with other people, um, but they should still sense an intensity about us that is contagious. And, and here's a really important perspective that we carry along with this, and I, I think this is important to, to keep in mind. All of this comes with understanding that the goal is not for us to be enthusiastic in a godly way so that we can market ourselves better, so that we can be more effective. 
I, I think there's an important distinction here, here to make. It is not just to market ourselves better so that we'll be more effective. And we can kind of brag among each other, like, here's how many people I saved this week. Yeah, like, like, that's not the th deal. It is to model ourselves after Jesus so that when people look at us, they see Jesus. And they see the impact that he's made on our life. Not so that we can later go to God and say, look at all the things that I did for you. Regardless of whether or not you're more like Macho Man, Randy Savage, or Bob Ross, the inspiration behind our enthusiasm for making Jesus known through our lives should be clearly connected to the new creation life God enables us in us through his Holy Spirit. And so we talked about transparency, we talked about enthusiasm, and here's a, here's a third thing that helps to make our confidence contagious to other people, and that is to be ministry-minded. Ministry is service that directs people to the reason for the hope that we have within us and the potential others have within them to experience that hope. And the only people, and, and I'm not the... Like, we're all called to be ministry-minded in that, in that regard. It's not just my job. It's not just Chip's job. It's not just Sarah's job. It's not just Christina's job. It's not just Adria's job. That's, that's for all of us. And our faith in God becomes a lot more contagious when we are perceptive about the potential in people around us to share in the resurrection life alongside of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, And Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus died for all. It is so easy to get caught up in judging people and assuming things about people just based on their maybe external presence or appearance or, you know, the initial first impression that we have about, uh, about people, you know. And, and that is, that is how, how the world evaluates people. You know, your value comes from whether or not you're wealthy or if you have power or if you're good looking or you have the right job or know the right people or whatever those things are. Um, those, those are the things that, that causes people to think that you're valuable. Otherwise, maybe you're not worth much and the world ignores you. In verse 12, you know, Paul points out this is, exactly, this is exactly how the world operates. The world takes pride in what is seen rather than is what in the heart. And Christianity is more contagious when we see people as the Lord sees them. That is what is so wonderful about Jesus. He looked at people for what they could become and who God had created them to be rather than what they looked like on the outside or what they had done in the past. Peter, who would deny Jesus, um, make all kinds of, say all kinds of dumb things, do all kinds of dumb things, I mean, cut people's ears off with a sword, like all that kind of stuff. Peter would become a rock-like leader in the church. Saul would later become Paul. Saul the persecutor, Saul the killer of Christians, Saul the person who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, became the Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, who is preaching to King Agrippa and Governor Festus, who is putting his life on the line to share the good news. The demon-possessed Mary Magdalene would become the first to see the resurrected Christ. The proud Nicodemus would come to Jesus secretly and, and he could become humbly born again. The cheating tax collector Zacchaeus would have Jesus over for lunch and give away over half of his possessions. And while the Pharisees saw the external stuff, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus saw the potential in those people for how God had created them. 
to be forgiven disciples and transform friends. And so how we see other people in our lives, how we see the potential that they might carry based on how God has created them and how God values them, helps to determine whether or not we're ministry-minded in how we are looking at not just what that person is doing on the outside, but what is capable in their lives because of their heart and what God can do when he changes it. Be perceptive enough to see what God sees. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. Like that's what happened to us. And so we can see the same potential in other people when we choose to serve them, regardless of who they are. If, if, if you coach, if you teach, um, if you work with youth, if you have employees, if you work with other people, I mean, what, your family, it doesn't matter who it is, strangers, we, we got to see other people the way that God sees them. And, and man, that is a contagious way to, to look at other people. Some of us know people who are like that. And we are treated so differently by them. And they treat people so differently in such a way that's so compelling and so wonderful that we can't wait to be with those type, types of people. We gather together each week as those who were once lost, but we are now found, who were once blind, but now see, who once had no purpose, but now have an eternal identity in Jesus. That was all of us, and, and, and we are here together, and we, can, we know about this, and we can make Christianity contagious if we are committed to our ministry from God. People are under the weight of the debt of sin, and they can never pay that back, but God has offered to pay that debt in full through the riches of Jesus Christ that he provides through the cross. Not only will he pay the debt, but he also, he also makes us righteous as a result of that. That, that, is, a, that is a mind-altering thing to consider, that we have become clothed with the righteousness of, righteousness of Christ. And that is how God looks at us, and it is our ministry. This is the ministry that we are invited into to bring those who are at odds with God to peace and reconciliation with him, and to feel what it is to feel for that debt to be paid in full, for that weight to be lifted, for that unpayable thing that is hanging on to be removed. And that's such good news that we ought to be anxious to minister to other people so they know and experience that message. Even though some may not receive his word, we're called to share it accurately without omission or addition. And Christianity becomes contagious when we serve others confident in God's promises. Those that live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again, is how Paul ends chapter 5, verse 15 in 2 Corinthians. When Christian people are servants as Jesus was, Christianity becomes more and more attractive, just as the life and ministry of Jesus were. People respect Jesus because of how he lived, even if they reject his ministry. And when we know what it is to know the Lord, we know that the fear of rejection is paltry compared to the joy of salvation. And I think maybe that's one of the things that keeps us from serving others as much as we know we should do it anyway. It's needed so much in our world because there's so much that is uncertain. Um, there's so many foundations that people have trusted in that continue to crumble, um, that continue to be shaken. And people need the assurance and they need the hope that only Jesus can bring. Transparency about who we are in Christ, enthusiasm about what God has done, and ministry-mindedness to serve everyone around us, it establishes a different level of life that is contagious to others 
And it's contagious about our faith in such a way that it's not performative, not that we're putting on a show for other people, but it is representative of the promises of God that we are confident is at work in our lives. So be confident and be bold in your speech and in your life to represent and share Jesus to everyone you come into contact with. The results of those efforts bring far greater joy than any other we might experience. And so I just want you to consider this morning and maybe this week, how is God compelling you to serve others, to share the good news with others? How is God compelling you in the relationships that you have with the people in your family, the people you work with, your friends, the strangers that you meet, how is God compelling you? Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, to persuade them to understand the good news of salvation that only comes through Jesus, that we've experienced, that we now get to share. When we understand who God is and what he has accomplished, it gives us confidence to be contagious with the gospel. Let's pray. God, there, there's so many other things going on in our life. There's so many things that we, you know, we're headed to that, that we have going on. There are responsibilities. There, there are things that we're looking forward to. There's, there's activities that we have. There's uh, thing, things that are good that we have, have going on. And, and so many opportunities, God, to be distracted from who you have called us to be, who you've created us to be. And yet, that's who we become when we say yes to Jesus. We become who you've called us to be, who you've created us to be. The, the best possible version of ourselves happens when we follow you. And, and God, there's so many things that distract us from that. And so we, we ask you through the gift of the Holy Spirit that you indwell within us when we're baptized, when we say yes to Jesus, we, we ask that you keep us centered and grounded in our confidence that you will fulfill your promises in our lives. And God, as we live that, that out and as we experience that, help us, to, help us to be contagious about, infectious about how important that life change is to experience for all of us, for all of humanity. God, give us, uh, the, the, give us not only the strength, but just the um, attention span to see how we might serve other people, how, how we might be reminded of how significant what you do in our lives through Jesus really is and how much that needs to be shared and how much it needs to be lived out and how much it needs to be spoken and how many opportunities we have continually in our lives. God, we know that we don't have forever in this life that we get to look forward to forever with you. And, and not, not everybody is looking forward to that. Not, not everybody is living with the same confidence that we have in our lives. God, help us to pause, help us to be mindful, and help us to share. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.